Today we start a new series. It's a, it's a mini-series. You guys are used to four, seven messages. Today we'll only go into two because it's Christmas and the 22nd we'll have a Christmas program. So we are going to call this series Simple Christmas. Simple Christmas. And the reason why we call it Simple Christmas is because Christmas could be a complicated time. It could be a complicated time. And I want to illustrate this idea with this picture. Uh, this is a Christmas picture. Have you ever taken a Christmas picture with your family? Some of you are like, yeah, because probably you're like me. I don't like going to a place to have my picture taken with other people who don't want to be there. <laughs> but it's something funny about it. Because see, when we go and take that picture, everybody looks smiley, everybody looks happy, everybody looks joyful. But the reality is that that photo is being photoshopped. It's not the real us. It's not. See, Christmas is a complicated time because, see, whatever happens during the year is during the holidays that things get highlighted. If there's struggle between the family members in, during the holidays and Christmas, it gets highlighted. If, if there's pain during the holidays, it gets highlighted. If, if there's uh, uh, resentment, if, if there are broken relationships during the holidays, it gets highlighted. And we struggle. Are we, going with, are we going to invite them? Because, see, there's always situations that occur in families. Problems in marriage, problems with the kids, the extended family. And then when we invite people over our house, there's always that crazy uncle or cousin. Because, see, statistically, every family has a crazy family member. And if you don't know who that person is, <laughs> it might be you. Now, getting together for the holidays, it gets complicated because of all these simple issues make for uncomfortable relationships, uncomfortable gatherings. So the holidays highlight the pain, the suffering. The loneliness, the empty spaces, the disagreements. And that makes for a very complicated Christmas. The Apostle Paul offers a solution for this complicated situation during the holidays. And if you open your Bibles or get your notes out, the notes that you receive in your bulletin as you came, uh, we'll find the text that we'll study this morning. And let's go to uh, Colossians chapter 3 verse 13. And the Apostle Paul shares this advice to make this complex experience into a simple Christmas. And he says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Let's go back to the first word in this passage. And that's the word, say it with me, bearing. Bearing. See, bearing has two connotations in the original text. And the first one, bearing, is something that comes from within. Like the example, in the biblical example of a tree bearing fruit. So it, the, first, the first meaning is something that comes from within. In other words, it's part of you and what's reflected of your personal experience comes out. The second meaning of the word 
bearing. It's something that requires training to be able to endure. It's kind of like, like a runner that, that trains running and running and running so that one day can finish a race. Or, or a fighter that, that, that invests, invests time in, in preparation physically, emotionally, and nutrition to be able to one day fight and be a winner. So bearing, it's something that should come in the biblical context from within us. But at the same time, it's not something that we naturally have. It's something that we have to be prepared for. Something that we have to train into getting better at it. Something that, that, that we need certain time invested so that in one day could be something that comes naturally out of us. So bearing in this text carries a heavy load. And the load is... Treating others with the same forgiveness, the same forgiving attitude that Jesus treats us. So I want to share with you a few examples, a few principles today of how we can learn to bear one another. And the first, and the first uh, idea that I want to share with you is that we need to know why people, including us, are difficult. Because, see, everyone is difficult, right? Yeah, you are difficult too. Everyone is difficult. Everyone. So, so we need to learn, we need to understand why is it that we are so difficult? Why is it that we complicate relationships? You see, there is an ontological reason, and that is that we are all part of a fallen world. Do you agree with that? Paul says it this way in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. How many? All. That includes you. That includes me. That, that includes everyone. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. So because we all have sinned, that makes relationships complicated. See, we were talking about a few weeks ago about the selfish thing that, that we're all born with. Because nobody goes to selfish school. We, we all learn to be selfish naturally. We came with that. And that's a matter to translate into our relationships. Because see, we are sinners. We are sinners. Now the crazy thing about this is that when we study the cultures of the world, when we study religions around the world, we discover that all religions teach this thing. That the solution to your evilness, to your, to your sinfulness can come from within you. But see, Christianity is the only faith, is the only religion that teaches that the problem of all this is you. It's us. And the solution only comes from the outside. The thing is that God is a relational being. He created us. To have relationships. We were formed to have relationships. In fact, after Adam was created, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. So God wanted us to experience relationships. So if there's one thing that the devil, the enemy, or like they said in Spanish, el chamuco, wants to do is to destroy relationships. Because God is the 
epitome of relationships. His trinity forms a relationship that is based on love because love is a character of God. So what happens is that if there's anything that the devil wants to destroy is the image of relationships, the image of love, the image of a relationship between the divinity and humanity. So he always is trying, what he's trying to do is always to destroy that relationship. So the seed that could grow in our hearts to, to long for a relationship with God is always being attacked by the enemy. Because relationships are not only the source of our greatest joy, but they're also the place where the greatest pain comes. So the enemy is always trying to attack that that could make us deviate from the original plan that God has intended for us. So the enemy has an all-out assault on anything that could demonstrate that humanity and divinity could unite again. So when broken people get together with their brokenness, without acknowledging that there's someone who can fix that brokenness, bad relationships occur. See, I, perhaps I told you this before, but this is, there's a crazy thing that happens when, when, I, when two young people or, or two people fall in love. When, it, it is interesting. I love to see it. Because see, it, when, when they ask me, Pastor, can, can we talk to you about us getting married and, and we would like to get counseling. You know, that first time when they come to the office, when we get together and, and they sit together, it's just lovely. Because, see, they, they hold hands, they look at each other, and every time they talk about the other, they go, ah, right before. It's amazing. But then something happens. Then something happens when, when, when the thing changed and they, they've been together for a while and now they come pastor, we need counseling, but it's a different kind of counseling. <laughs> See, now they don't go, ah, they go, ah. Oh. <laughs> and they don't hold hands anymore. Their hands are clenched. Not always physically, but Emotionally. Because see, whatever at one point in time was the greatest source of joy, now it's a source of contention. And that's exactly what the devil wants. To destroy any kind of relationships. Any kind of sign that God is working in us. And the first thing that we forget is that all of us at one point, and oftentimes at the same point, are affected by the attacks of the enemy. And that is why we suffer relationally. Another principle that I, that I like to share with you is that there is always a story behind the symptom. symptom. There's always a story behind the symptom. You see, uh, I have a, a, a set of sunglasses that I use when I go to the beach to play volleyball. I don't go that often anymore. But when I used to go, I have a set. And probably you've seen them before. They're made by a brand that starts with a no and ends with a clee. And these glasses, these lenses, you can interchange them. If it's a gloomy day, you use a set that is kind of a yellowish. If it's a very bright sun, you use a lens that is bluish. 
And the reason why you change those lenses is because when you change them, they allow you to see the environment in a better way. The thing about this is that you would always see according to the color of the lens that you're wearing. And see, life is kind of like that. We all see life, we all see other people according to the lens that we have. And usually the lens that we see life through is because the lens that we're seeing life through and the other people through is tainted by your previous relationship. Let me explain. Someone who comes from a house where their parents loved each other and they showed it and they talked to each other with respect and they were displaying affection before their kids, that is the lens they will take to their next relationship. But when the opposite is true, and they come from a family, someone comes from a family where abuse and harsh words were used and violence, they will take that experience to the next relationship. Because our experiences are tainted by the lens of our previous relationship. So, so what happens is that everyone's actions in relationships and the way they treat other people is reflected by the lens they see through. And that is the experience of their previous relationship. Now, so that means that the pain, the bitterness, the anger, the joy is always the reflection of a previous story. So whatever actions they're displaying, they're just a symptom of a story that occurred in the past. So some people might be going when we experience them and, they, and they're not nice, when they're angry or when they're bitter or they have resentment. Most likely that experience is the result of a previous story. They're going through some stuff that you don't know, that you don't know anything about. Because it's just a reflection of a previous story. And the thing that happens in reality is that hurting people hurt people. And oftentimes the most hurtful people are the people that are the closest to us. Because it's a lot easier to hurt somebody you know than someone you don't know. But it's just the reality that they are going through their story. And whatever they experienced in the past is being reflected now. Most of the time we don't know what the story is, but we could know something for sure. There is a story. Another principle that I want to share with you is that we can control other people. But we can control our response. We can control other people. But we can control our response. See, relationships are messy. And if you've ever been in dealing with humans for a while, you discover that relationships are messy. And they require a lot of work, a lot of maintenance, a lot of patience, a lot of love. Even when the person you try to love is not so lovely. 
We have to remember that we are dealing with broken people who, ha who are being attacked by an enemy. We can't control them. We can't control other people. And some people will respond negatively to your words, to your actions. But that doesn't mean that you have to respond negatively. You have to be positive anyway. Because we can't control other people. But yes, we can control our response. No one can make you do or feel anything. Let me tell you this again. No one can make you do or feel anything. At work, at home, on the, in the freeway, at church, at the store. Nobody can make you do or feel anything. It is your choice. But we can react in several ways. We can curse it. I'm not saying you do it, but people do it. You can nurse it. Oh, guess what happened to me? And you replay that emotion. You replay that event over and over and over and over. And you repeated it so many times that now it's part of you. So the next time that you're in the same place, you act just like you hated people acting against you. And then we rehearse it. It becomes us. It becomes part of us. Because we've done it so many times, it's natural now. Or we could reverse it. Have you ever gotten a ticket driving? Two, three, okay, more people are saying three than two. How is that? Four, more than five. Now, out of those five tickets, were any of them for the same reason? No? Well, good. One of the things that happens in our lives, and, and all of you who drive, now I can say that in my house four of us drive. Every street, every highway has a speed limit. Have you noticed that? There's a speed limit. And as you drive by the street, they're, they're not located in every corner. They're not located in every block, but they exist. Usually when the speed changes, when the limit changes, they, they appear. Like it was at 30, now it's at 35, now it's at 25. And you see, every time we go by that speed limit sign, we have a choice. Because we, there's a little loophole in the driving manual that says that you could drive at a safe speed. But safe, safe, it's a very subjective term. I feel that I drive very well. And so do you. 
Nobody says, I'm horrible at driving. I'm going in the freeway. Nobody says that. Some people, we know that they're horrible and they shouldn't drive at all, but they still do it. They don't think they're bad. And what happens is that when we go on the street, when we go on the freeway, and we know what the speed limit is, we have a choice. We know that if I obey the speed limit sign, most likely I'm going to arrive at my destination safely. There's greater chances. But I'm a decent driver. I'm pretty good, actually. I've been driving for 20 years plus. And I say, well, the speed limit on the freeway is 65. But in other places, it's 75, and it's the same freeway. I'm going to go at 75. Perhaps I will not get into an accident. Perhaps I wouldn't even get stopped by the highway patrol to get a ticket. But... If I do, if I get into an accident, if I get a ticket, did anybody force me to go over the speed limit? No. I chose to get into that accident or that ticket all by myself. It was my choice. How people react to you, how people treat you, you can't control, but you can control how to react to them. If you choose to react at a speed that is not safe, you will get into an accident, relational accident. There will be consequences, and perhaps you have to go to relationship school and pay a fine. So, we can't control other people, but we can't control how we react. I like to think of it like this. You see, if you're quiet, as we're sitting in this place, we can hear the air conditioning working. You can hear it. In those little boxes around the church, all over the facility, there are some boxes that we call thermostats. Have you heard of them? thermostats. They have one task, and that is that when they're set at a certain temperature, when the temperature in the uh, building reaches that setting, they either stop or begin to work because they're set to be at a certain temperature. There is another device that measures temperature. And that is the thermometer. My mom used to have one of those little thermometers that were glass and had mercury at the tip. You remember those? This was always a safe place. You, you remember those, right? Now, the job of the thermometer is one. Just to measure temperature. And when it measures the temperature, the 
indicator, the red dye that was inside or the mercury moved to the temperature that was felt by the thermometer. So the thermometer reacted to the temperature, but the thermostat set the environment. Now that you're awake, let me tell you something. God made us to be thermostats. To set the environment around us. Not to, not to be thermometers to react to the temperature around us. Are you with me? So how are we going to do that? Let me, let me share this with you. I believe that grace comes before truth. Grace comes before truth. Now... There's, there's a thing about this because some of us grew, grew up in a church where it was very, very grace-oriented. And, and by grace-oriented, I mean that, that everything went. There was joy and happiness, but no rules, no regulations, no nothing. It was just grace unconditional. So mothers grew up in churches where truth was the thing. And, 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 and people who came from a truth church would say, if we call sin the way we see it, by its name. So our job here is to tell people every single one of their sins. But let me tell you something. Our problem is that we try to balance in relationships grace with truth. And we try to kind of keep a balance between grace and truth. Be nice, but be firm. And that's how we get in trouble because we never act the same way. Let me tell you something that perhaps you would never saw it this way. But Jesus was always 100% grace and Jesus was always 100% truth. Let me say that again because only two people got it. Jesus was always 100% grace and always 100% truth. But every time that Jesus did something with somebody else, grace came before truth. Jesus loved everyone in a way that he accepted everyone. Think about this. The day that Jesus went to Jerusalem and at the gate, when he marches in, there's a man collecting taxes. His name was Matthew. Now, a tax collector was a bad person. Period. They were Jewish people who worked for the Romans. So by the Jewish, these were traitors. They were working for the enemy. And for the Romans, they were people who had no scruples. They worked for a price. And not just that. They had a price for taxes, for individuals, for businesses. But they always hiked them up to make more money. And there was no rules, no regulations that they could tell them, hey, 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 that's not your... Stealing. So tax collectors were hated by the Romans. They were hated by the Jews. Perhaps even their own siblings hated. It was not the kind of person you wanted to have at Christmas dinner. So Jesus goes through the gates and there at the table is Levi, Matthew, the tax collector. And when Jesus approaches the table where he is, the disciples are with him, and, and Jesus approaches the table, and probably Peter is telling John, hey, look, Jesus is going to tell him something. Like, he's going to tell him, you're a sinner, you know, you deserve to be burned in the depths of hell. 
But Jesus approaches the table and tells Matthew, Matthew, follow me. The disciples are like, what? What do you mean follow? Oh, he's going to take them outside. But guess where Jesus went with Matthew? To his house. To Matthew's house. Matthew has a party. And Jesus is there. The disciples are angry. Why, what are we doing here, Jesus? You know, he's a tax collector. He's almost as bad as, bad as works for the IRS. But see, Jesus first showed grace. And that grace turned into the truth that Matthew needed to stop being who he was and to become the man that God made him to be. Matthew became such a good disciple that one of the Gospels that we read, especially on Christmas, was written by him. We can't control people, but we can control how we react. And when grace comes before truth, we have to remember that people, and, and, and there's something, if there is going to be something that you're taking home today, this is it. People, people always, always are more important than ideas. People are always more important than ideas. John 1 verse 14 says, And the Word, mean Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Because Jesus is always 100% grace and 100% truth. But grace always comes before truth. So God deals with both. And see, the thing is this, that we cannot trust anybody who is not grace first. In relationships, we cannot build relationships only with truth. Grace has to come first. See, I, I think about my children when they were learning to walk. And, and see, kids learn at different stages in life. They, they don't learn all at the same time. My, my three sons, they all learn at different times how to walk when they were different ages. It will be nice that at, at one year everybody walks. No, but everybody works at different times. And, and see, when, when you see children taking the first steps, it, it is an amazing thing. I, I lived in a time when if you wanted to record it, you needed to carry a, a, a camcorder that was like a ton heavy, and you have to get these tapes and put them in there. And by the time you loaded the thing and turned it on, the kid was already in high school. So... So I never had a chance to actually do that. See, today it's really quick. Cause, oh. So, so what happened is that when my kids began to walk and they took the first steps and they fell when they were learning to walk, I never said, oh, Gino, you're horrible at walking, man. Get up and walk. One foot in front of the other. Come on. What parent does that? Nobody. Nobody. We know that one day they will learn to walk. Right? But they would learn to walk at their own pace. Because grace 
comes before truth. We accept their falls as many times as they fall because we know one day they will be able to walk perfectly. Jesus came to restore our walk. You see, when Adam was created, Adam was placed in the Garden of Eden to have a perfect relationship with the Father. But Adam, by taking his first step, he fell. And he affected all of us because now all of us have fallen. And because we've fallen, we're short of the glory of, the glory of God. But when Jesus was sent to this earth, he came because he was the only power in the universe that could help us restore our steps. That could help us come back to the Father. That could help us get up and walk in a straight line. So that means, family, that it's only through Jesus that we can restore our life and be able to turn into the people that God made us to be. Be able to restore our relationships only through Him because it is by Him that we can learn to walk again. So how do we love like Jesus? Let me suggest to you that we need to stop fighting with the people that we fight with. And we need to start fighting for them. And 1 Peter 3.9, the apostle writes, Do not repay evil for evil or revealing for revealing, but on the contrary, bless, for this you were called. Why were we called for? To bless, that you may obtain a blessing. Don't repay evil for evil for evil. Have you ever seen those Discovery Channel or Nat Geo or Animal Planet shows when people go and swim with the sharks? Not in a cage, but go in, open, swim with the sharks. I love uh, all those things, I, I, but I would never get in the water. I love to watch them. I love to see all the things. I, I, I love animals in the deep sea. But I would never get in the water, just me and the shark. There, there's something about things that are easy to see, easy to read, easy to know, but hard to do. And this is one of those things where God is saying, see, in relationships, for you to be successful in relationships, you need to learn how to swim with the sharks. You don't know what a relationship is until you are in one. You don't know what a relationship with me can be until you try me. See, God is saying, the, the thing about you, talking about us, the thing about you is that you are comfortable where you are, but you don't want to swim with the sharks. You like to see from afar, but you don't want to be there. We, we have that tendency because when somebody wrongs us, when somebody does something to us, we tend to separate from that individual. We go from afar. We have a very difficult time restoring relationships, and that is not because our defect that, that we cre created, it's a defect that it's already in us. 
That is why we have to learn to bear one another and to let that thing that needs to grow from within us be practiced constantly, be renewed, be established, be innately installed in us. We need a new OS update. Okay, now you understand. Look at you. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderheartedly, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So what he's saying is that don't do to others what they do to you. Do to others what God did to you. Now you're like, uh-huh. In fact, Matthew 5.44 says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Let me remind you, all of us have a common enemy. And it's not other people. It's the devil. Because he is the one that is attacking our relationships. We are not each other's enemies. We pray for people, and when we pray for people, we see them differently. Try it. When you pray for other people that you don't like so much, you will learn to see them in a different way. Because prayer changes things. This pray for those who persecute you, the word pray in Greek is quite, quite of interesting in this particular text. Because it's taking the idea that this prayer is an intercession, like acting in their behalf. Think of a defense lawyer. What he's saying is that this lawyer is going to go and, in your favor, is going to act and say, and, and, and your favor is going to help you, is going to be on your side, is going to be next to you, is going to be for you, and is going to be with you. That's what he's saying. What he's saying is that in, when we pray for people, in relationships that are complicated, and we're part of those relationships, when we pray for those people, we're fighting with them. I remember growing up, well, not growing up, I was a little bit older already, but I remember a long time ago, uh, there was a commercial on TV, maybe it's still going on, but uh, who watches network TV anymore, right? Um, and there was a lawyer, it was a lawyer commercial, and, uh, and the lawyer at the end of the commercial would say, we'll fight for you. Okay, so you still, okay. So he said, we'll fight for you. Right? Th that is kind of what this text is saying. You see, you're in a complicated relationship, we'll fight for you. You are in, in a difficult situation in your family, we'll fight for you. You are in a difficult relationship with me, I'll fight for you. That's what he's saying. That the moment that I pray for someone else who is complicated, I learn to see them in a different way. Because when you fight along someone else, you see them in a different way. They're no longer your enemy. They're your companion. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. He, we were his enemies because we chose evil. But when he came and fought for us, the ultimate fight. He says, I don't call you my enemies anymore. I call you my friends. I call you my brother and my sister. Because when we fight along somebody else, it becomes a different thing. Jesus 
saying that, that in relationships, we have to learn to build bridges. We have to learn to, 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 to fix the streets. We have to repair the highways. This is what Jesus came to do. What Jesus came to do was to restore the bridge between the fallen humanity and God. And everything started in a cradle. Everything started in a simple and humble location. In an event that was unassuming. In an event that was perhaps unexpected. But it was a humble beginning to an incredible ending. Because see, in that way, Jesus came to uncomplicate Christmas and made it simple. And today, you can start in a simple way. Today, you can start in your knees. Today, you can start with a prayer. Today, you can start in a humble way to restore relationships and make your Christmas simple.